What up, guys? Welcome back to episode 11 of the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. Today, I'm chatting with my buddy, Carson Kasika. We're going to talk about the smart approach to building muscle and tips to staying injury-free in the gym. So go ahead, introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit how you got started on your personal fitness journey. Yeah, absolutely. So again, thanks for having me. Um, so my name's Carson. I'm a personal trainer here in Chicago, Illinois. That's located in the States. Uh, I'm also working as an online fitness coach right now. Um, I generate a lot of my business through my Instagram page at train with Carson. And I also just graduated from DePaul university two years ago with a bachelor's degree in exercise science. Um, I also have a small background working in physical therapy. Um, I've worked with college athletes and, um, kind of every client in between there, as you can imagine, I've been training for about seven years now. So I've just about seen it all. That's awesome. So how did you get started with fitness? Did were you active and did you play sports? What inspired you to start working out? Yeah, so for me, I grew up playing sports. I was a big baseball player. Um, I played a little bit of football. Um, and I always, I've just always been an active guy. You know, I'm always on the go, moving. But for me, the big thing with fitness, it came in high school, um, probably around my sophomore, junior year. Um, and how it came about is I was actually diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And I lost 30 pounds, um, which was 30 pounds I didn't have to give to begin with. I've always been a skinny guy. And then I lost 30 pounds on top of that. So it really wasn't in a good combo. It got down to the point where I really couldn't even, you know, bear to look myself in the mirror. So I had to find a way out. And for me, fitness was my way out. I wanted to build a stronger, more confident body, you know, something that I could be comfortable in my own skin with. And so that's where fitness took place. You know, I remember every single day being on bodybuilding.com, reading articles, watching YouTube videos, and then just constantly putting it all to work in the gym and trying to just build my way out and trying to build myself to be a better man. And so that's kind of how it all came about. And, you know, for me, it's, I see how much that has affected me and made an impact on my life. And so that's why now it's my job as a coach to coach my guys through their fitness journey, you know, because I understand what it's like to not be comfortable in your own skin. Yeah, I really like your perspective there because a lot of people approach fitness with the goal of looking bigger and getting abs and big biceps, more for like the vanity and the, and the aesthetics. But I really like how you coming more for the other side, which we don't tend to talk a lot about in the fitness industry is for, for self-confidence and self-improvement and and becoming like a like personal development and coming like a better person, really getting to know your body and getting confidence, really a big side of it because a lot of the results are like the changing character you have, like you become more disciplined. I remember when I started, like I'm, I'm nowhere near the same person I was, like I'm still the same person, but you, you have a lot of shift in terms of your mindset and personal growth, which is a really big part of the fitness and definitely involved in a lot of the coaching I do as well. Yeah. And, and, you know, for us as coaches, it's, it's big for us to bring that out of our clients because sometimes we really have to tap deep into them to find that. Cause a lot of times my clients will come to me with the goal of, you know, maybe wanting to lose weight or wanting to gain muscle and I'll stop them and I'll say, okay, that's great. We're going to do that. But why are we here to build muscle? And they'll be like, oh, well, I want to, I want to look better. And I'll say, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper. Why do you want to look better? And then they start to elaborate more on you know, what's really deep down there of what they're really trying to do here. And, and once you have that why, that meaning, that's what fuels your workouts. You know, a lot of times I get asked, how do you stay motivated? All that stuff. You know, if you understand your purpose of why, right? Like back in the day when I, I, there was no turning back for me, you know, I couldn't even look myself in the mirror. 
So I knew every day going into the gym that, you know, I was fighting my way out of that. And so keeping that why always is going to fuel your workout. I think your story is really inspirational because a lot of people in similar situations, I know my cousin had Crohn's too, and you feel like there is no way out. Like you feel like you're lost or you're stuck. And like it can give a lot of hope to some people just because like the fact that you're, you're persevering, you, you were resilient, definitely something like I'm sure like in the, if I ever were to work out with you, you'd be like pushing it hard. Like you wouldn't be giving up and slacking. Like you have that, that, that drive for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So how was your experience at DePaul University with exercise science? Did you know what you were getting into when you got there? And did you like the more like academic approach to fitness? Yeah. So, you know, I had known for a long time, actually, that this is what I was going to do. Literally, like all of the above, you know, like I knew I was going to come to the city of Chicago to go to school here because I wanted to train at some of these big clubs um, in the city. And so, you know, fast or rewind five years and everything I was doing was working towards that. You know, I got a job as a trainer pretty early in my career at, at not the best gym, but I knew, okay, let me put in a year here of experience so that by the time I get to the city, you know, I'm ready to work. I'm ready to work with these clubs. Um, and so that's why I chose DePaul university. I knew where my market was going to be all the above. Um, and so it was a great experience. Chicago is wonderful. Um, you know, learn the academic side of fitness is huge, you know, so that, um, you're able to really dive deep on the information and not just have like a broad line sense of it, which um, we may see a little bit here and there. Yeah, it's so important to continue learning as well. I'm sure there's a lot of strategies you've used to bridge the gap from the stuff you learn in school to testing on yourself to being able to see what's relevant and you can implement for your clients. Because there's really there's different types of clients. And there's different types of people in the gym. Some people just want to follow something, but other people really want to understand what they're doing and how the exercise gets them to the goal and its purpose. So it's good to have that, that background so you can explain like what's going on. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, you need the, you need the even split between both of having the academic side, but also having that hands-on experience. Sometimes I see guys that are just like the science guy, right? They read a lot of studies and whatnot, but they're not working hands-on in the gym with these clients. So they may not totally understand what it means to progress a client, to regress a client, um, how to work with the client in certain situations. So I think it's that even split of having the academic background, but also having that hands-on experience. So what would you say is the, like your training approach when you first started working out and then obviously you went to school, like how much has your philosophy changed like as a result of what you've been learning and what you currently know now? Yeah, so it's all one big learning process, which is what I tell everyone, you know, um, and I think at one point in time, one way or another, all of us were bros working out in the gym, you know, going through the bro split of one day was arm day, one day is chest day, maybe hit legs every now and then, no cardio, no stretching, you know, just like how we talk about how like bros work out. And, um, but over time you start to, you know, do your research and, and, and study more and understand um, human physiology more. And then your approach is all of a sudden a little bit different now. So I remember before, you know, I was just in the gym, just winging it and just being in there for hours at a time thinking you're, you're working hard, but you're not really working smart. You know, you're kind of just going with the flow and hoping for results. My training now is very structured. I assure that I'm getting results. I assure that my clients are getting results. I never just go with the flow. When I'm in the gym, I know exactly what I'm doing that day and what the goal is 
of that day's training. I have the whole month mapped out as well. What a certain week is going to look like, what another week is going to look like, where my results need to be two weeks into the month, where my results need to be at the end of the month. So you can see it's very structured now to assure that I'm getting results. And that's where I've implemented into coaching my clients and coaching my online clients as well to assure that we're on the right track for success. So I think over time, what's happened is I've taken a lot more structured approach. And this is kind of that smart approach that I'm always talking about to building muscle is having an approach. Yeah, I find a lot of people, they'll be like, oh, I got to confuse the muscles and they'll change the routine every week. But for a program to work, you have to like, stick to it for at least four or six, maybe even eight weeks. Now, you can make micro changes to the RPE and the intensity and the rest and stuff. But the, the base and the, 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 the big component, like the main exercise is like you can't keep switching things around. Like you're just never going to progress. And literally, if you don't, if you don't progress, you're not going to see any results at all. Yeah, I 100% agree with that because I do. I see guys kind of all over the place in the gym. They're switching it up all the time and they're not allowing their body to adapt. They're not progressing on a weekly basis. And they wonder why six months go by and they're still looking the same. And the scale is also still looking the same. Yeah, because it seems like there's a lot of other common mistakes. But again, they're not to blame. It just it, Everyone goes through this as a beginner. I remember the first time I ever went to the gym was at a community center here in Toronto. And I, would, I went for three hours. I did like bicep curls, thinking that my arms would grow until like while I was there at the gym, right? Like this one dude's like, yeah, just go eat some protein after. So I was like watching my arms, waiting for them to grow. The next day I was so sore after doing curls for like three hours. I... I couldn't like literally get myself out of bed. It was hilarious. Yeah, exactly. We all go through that at some point. So what are other common mistakes like to building muscle aside from like obviously not eating enough calories? Like like are there other factors such as like training intensity, training frequency, etc.? Yeah, so, you know, that's the big thing people get caught up on. They get caught up on why they're not building muscle and that's the most important question too because if you're not questions need to be asked. And a lot of the times you're right, it is not eating enough. That's one of the most common ones I see. And we can also talk about obviously programming, which is something we were just going off of as well, allowing your body to adapt. But one of the big things that I see of why people are struggling to build muscle is that they get too comfortable in the gym. They lose sense of direction. So what I mean by that is people, you know, they come into the gym as a rookie and they're able to hit the weights, do the basic lifts like back squat, uh, barbell bench press and all that. And that's good. And they make those, they call them the newbie gains, right? So they put on some muscle and they're pretty excited with it. But here's the problem is they kind of stick in their comfort zone and they stick with that kind of same routine for an extended duration of time. So for instance, you can, you can ask some guys, some guys have been working in the eight to 12 rep range their whole life, right? They've never experienced high rep training or low rep training. Um, some guys have never alter their lifts at all. They've been working with the same lifts over and over and over again for years. Monday's been their chest day since the beginning of time. And as <laughs> we said before, it's, it's, it's important for us to allow adaptations that happen, but there's also every program runs its course and it's different for everyone. But if you've been on a program for, you know, more than a few months and you're not seeing results anymore, that's a clear indicator that it's time to switch things up not only to revamp the program, but to revamp your mind as well. And so I think people get too comfortable in the gym going through their routine. A lot of people are very routine based, right? They go to their nine to five job, they have a set pay they get every month and their workouts are relatively the same too. Well, you're not gonna just keep building muscle just because you're hitting the gym four days a week. 
that's great, but you need to give your body a reason to build muscle. Progressive overload, sufficient calorie intake, proper recovery, all the above is what's really going to fuel that muscle growth um, as opposed to just being in that same specific comfort zone that you've been in for years now. Yeah, and I think another common mistake I see, and I definitely was, I'd felt myself was like, when you first go into the gym, having the wrong priorities, like you mentioned, like, like the back squat and, and the bench press, and everyone just wants like that big muscular, like square defined chest and those the big biceps, right? But like, the thing people forget, and I, I'm really trying to advocate with my Instagram, especially with yours as well as the movement first approach, like, you want to spend your first maybe even like month, two months, three months, like just working on your mobility, getting your body to move better, especially if you've been sitting a nine to five job, your body might not be able to adapt to get into the right positions to hold the right loads uh, in an effective way with proper biomechanics. So a lot of times people just like, you'll see so many people benching with bad form and like squatting with like super heavy weight with bad form. And I think it's, it's not really their fault. They just aren't educated to that. We just need to overall as, as trainers overall, just keep on pushing like the movement first approach. And it will really help a lot of people. Like you can still build muscle. You just do a little bit of movement beforehand. You just, be more conservative with the load you're using and it can really make a big difference. Yep, 100%. And I think that's where you and I kind of hit it off. You know, we both started these online fitness business and we realized like, oh, we're actually both taking the time to teach movement and teach proper posture and what it means to train smart and how to stay injury free was kind of both of our approaches. And that's kind of how we found that common ground. And it's important because staying injury free is the key to training long term, you know. So what are some other strategies to manage training volume and prevent injury during training? To manage like training volume? Yeah, because obviously that's like a big one, especially like a lot of people think you got to like kill yourself in the gym. And I, and I used to at first as well, like think you have to be fatigued after workout. But honestly, my best workouts are the one where I felt like I pushed myself, but I don't feel like, like I'm dead afterwards. And I find like there's different variables in terms of managing volume, like is there like a sweet spot for building muscle and again, progressive overload? Like how much is too much to increase volume over time in order to kind of manage injury threshold? Yeah, definitely. So the big thing here, the big takeaway is to stimulate muscle growth, not to annihilate your muscles. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of these days is it's just these repetitive movements. Like if someone sent me a, their program the other day, what they're working on, you know, for me to make adjustments. And like mm -hmm. they have an arm, arm day when one of their goals is to lose like 40 plus pounds. First of all, you don't really necessarily need an arm day when your goal is to lose that much weight. And secondly, I'm looking at it and it's like six, seven bicep exercise of just like standing cable curls, standing dumbbell curls. You're essentially just beating a dead horse there. You're just doing the same movements over and over and over again. And the muscles don't really need that. You need to focus on your big lifts, focus on progressing them. And then you can also start to work from different angles to target different muscle fiber heads, um, et cetera. But the whole thing of these chest days and the shoulder days, you know, those are, those are outdated. You know, you don't need a single day to work your entire chest or just your shoulders or just your arms. And that's why I've been preaching, you know, you need these bigger approaches of an upper body, lower body split or a push pull split. That's going to allow you to stimulate muscle growth, but not to annihilate it. If you're doing like three, four exercise, three, three, four exercises of the same exact movement, just in like different equipment, you're completely overdoing it. So for instance, if you're doing, you know, bicep curls, 
with dumbbells and then you go to the cables and you're still doing standing curls and you're doing barbell curls. You're just doing the same movement over and over again. And essentially you're just wasting your time there. Yeah. And the same thing can apply for like, obviously like you have to consider how big the muscle group is arms, like arms and shoulders are pretty small muscle groups. If you want to do more high volume training, you can, you can hit your legs a little bit harder, but definitely recently the trend and the research is telling us that it's better to to just stimulate muscle growth and to train that muscle more frequently throughout the week. That way the muscles, so do you want to explain a little bit of the science there? Yeah. So that's the, so when you, when you, when you break down a muscle in the gym, right, you're stimulating muscle protein synthesis for that muscle to rebuild back stronger. And so typically it takes about 48 to 72 hours for this process to happen of that rebuilding. And after that is when you're kind of good to go. So if I look at someone's split and say their goal is to get a bigger chest and they hit chest on Monday and then that's it. So on Monday, they stimulate muscle protein synthesis, right? So they have 48 to 72 hours and then it's done. And then that's the, and then, but they don't train it again. So they hit it one time. They stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Now, if there's another guy who's has more of a smart approach, he's hitting chest like two, sometimes even three times a week, right? Because he's hitting it Monday. He's giving it 72 hours to recover. Then he's going to hit it Thursday. So he's stimulating muscle protein synthesis again and, and again. So it's a few different times a week where this guy is rebuilding back muscle tissue stronger. So if we just look at that example alone, we can see who's going to make more progress between those two guys. The guy that's hitting chest once a week and doing like a million exercises or the guy with the smarter approach structuring his training where he's hitting chest two to three times a week and stimulating that muscle protein synthesis multiple different times. Yeah, and obviously there's outliers. Like there's people who still do get results on these bro type programs, but but really those are just people with I don't not gonna just saying it's genetics, but you obviously even if you can get results in them, you might as well do something that's more effective. Like if you're getting imagine you're doing a bro split and getting decent results, imagine how much better results and how much more muscle you can build when you train more efficiently. Exactly, one hundred percent. So one more question regarding the for the, the beginners out there, like um, building muscle and losing weight at the same time. I know it's it's like you, you want to prioritize, but you also want to consider like your client, like he had like 40 pounds to lose. Like building muscle isn't going to be the most beneficial thing for your physique at that point. Obviously, you want to lose weight at first because it's going to be, just, you're going to have better health markers overall, the less body fat you have. And then you'll definitely build it. You'll, you can still build that base of strength for when you're ready to start focusing on the building muscle. But it's really comes down to really understanding your goals and making sure they're they're appropriate yep and that's one of the big that's the biggest question i get as a as a fitness enthusiast um is that people want to build muscle and they want to lose fat at the same time and so you know as a coach it's my job to t teach them and educate them on the difference between those two goals and why they don't make sense and how they need to determine what they need to do right now and how it will all come into fruition over time. You know, so as much as people really want to do that and like it could be, you know, a uh, easy way to make sales for some of these people. But the truth of the matter is they're just kind of not going to be going anywhere because those two goals are kind of counterintuitive to one another. So it's really important to decipher which one is important for you now and then to stick to it, you know. So what are some strategies you use with your clients in your personal training for like, like you said, you have your weeks, your months training like done out. Is it like, you know, what strength targets you're going to hit or, you know, like if the session is going to be a higher volume or lower volume, or do you like have like a theme per month? Like, 
for example, like my clients will have like, say for when I first start with them, we'll, we'll start with like a foundational phase. Then we'll do more like where we focus on more like the movement first. And then we'll slowly progress towards like different like, for, like obviously then I use sometimes go again, depending on the person because we want to have a smart approach, like maybe total body depending on their schedule because a lot of people don't consider how much training you can get into your schedule, right? We want to, like we just mentioned, have a certain frequency, but you also have to make your training around what fits best for your lifestyle. That's another big factor. Yeah, and so mapping it out in, in terms of like the month is similar to like what you were saying, but it, it's dependent on every client. So like I have one client, he grew up as like a power lifter, but he kind of ran into a brick wall because basically essentially what he was doing is shooting for PRs every week. And his body just couldn't keep up anymore. Um, his joints started to feel all wonky and whatnot. And so with him and I, what we did is we restructured our approach. So one week is we're working with more of like a high rep routine, um, focusing on our breathing, form technique, muscle engagement, all of that. Another week, we'll be working with like 70% of his one rep max and like an eight rep range, eight to 12 or so. And then, you know, and then we have our strength week where then we're going to lay it all on the table and shoot for those PRs because we've set everything up accordingly so that his body's fresh and ready to go. And then he's ready to pull weight heavier than he was the previous month. Yeah, it's really cool. I like working with percentages and well as educating clients on like, sometimes I like to give them an RP. Sometimes for the more advanced lifters, I'll give them like an exact like, like weight, like I want them to hit. Like, for example, like I have a client, he's working a little bit past two plates on the bench. So... Over like a month period, we went from doing one set of one at two plates to the one set and then one set with one rep, then one with two reps and then so on. Then we did, then eventually now he's at three sets of three reps with two plates. But then this is over like a two month period, right? So the key is like what I like to do just for some clients, and it really depends on like their, like, like if they want to, it, some people work better with when they know all the information, some people are okay when you ha give them a little bit of guesswork, but I like to also like give them a percentages and then still know their RPE. That way we know if, if like if it's an eight, I might not want to push you as hard next week. I want maybe work with the same weight um, until it's a little bit lower or work on some other exercises to get stronger. So there's a lot of great approaches in terms of managing that. Yeah, and that's a phenomenal job, you know, coaching the way you're saying it. And so for anyone who doesn't know, he's saying RPE, that's rate of perceived exertion. So that's basically David's way and my way of asking our clients how difficult that last set was so you could say hey one out of ten what was the rpe on that like how hard was that for you and if they give you an eight okay that was a pretty dang hard set for them so as a coach you work around that what would you recommend because some people they they're like there's sets that are not optimal right you stop zero from zero to four reps before failure right if you have four left in the tank that isn't good but some people like like the mental aspect of training like they might have trouble like gauging failure or they might be afraid to, to push it especially for beginners, right? If you're giving them like, say just an example, bicep curls, like say you're at like like six and it's and it's like light, it's like five kilograms or whatever. They're not really close to fatigue, but it's just that they're just not, I wouldn't want to say afraid, but it's just knowing how to train hard really and train intensely. Yeah, and so, and that's the thing too, especially with beginners, what I've been doing lately is you don't I don't give them a specific rep range like all right we're doing 10 here you better do 10 exactly when they're new and we're kind of still working on the movement and, and, and our form and everything I said you know what give me 8 to 12 here let's see how it looks and then as we get to that 8 to 12 I'll say all right you got two more you got two more and you you know I'm there to coach them through and give them that confidence that they do have two more you know it's kind of like another misconception like the body doesn't know the numbers 
Like recently, we thought that people would do like the classic three sets of 10. But a recent study by Brad Schoenfeld said you can build muscle in literally every rep range. You just got to progressively overload it. Yeah, and that's uh, that's definitely, I'd say, one of the most popular um, research articles out there right now because it was kind of mind-blowing to everyone in the fitness industry, you know? Like, we all, you know, when we went through school and went through these certification programs, we had these specific rep ranges. And while they do still play an important role, um, there's also something to be said about gaining muscle in, in really any rep range, just the fact that you're progressing it, you know? Yeah, and I think it also comes down to, for example, like an 8 to a 12 or 12 to 15 is going to be build muscle from a different pathway. It's going to be more like metabolic stress and metabolic conditioning. But again, it's still a driver of muscle growth. And there's other drivers, just like working with the, like the 6 to 10, you're still going to be building strength when it's going to be more, I believe, mechanical tension, right? Yeah, and there's one other driver. But you guys get the point that there's different ways to build muscle. And this is why having a smart, balanced approach to your training can manage some of the, the onset of soreness and stuff like that, right? If you're working to stimulate muscle growth in a lighter weight, higher rep range, that might be better for your recovery than pushing the heavy weights all the time. Because really you don't gotta do that day in and day out. Cause you're like you're just gonna you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna peak too hard and you're gonna be overreaching. And overreaching is really when you start to notice the onsets of soreness and then eventually if you ignore the soreness it could potentially lead to injury. Yep, I agree. So what are your thoughts on the like the minimum recover volume? Is that like an adequate place to start? Like would you recommend someone tracks their, their soreness and their weekly volume to know like if they're close to their minimum recover volume or if they're overtraining? And is that like a good threshold, like a ballmark? Yeah, so in terms of like overtraining, you know, um I don't see it too much in the general population. You know, I'm right I'm I work with I used to work with some college athletes right here on campus. And that's when you had to be a little bit weary of it just because they're training so frequently throughout the day. Um, that's that, that's when they can run themselves into the ground. Um, but in terms of like minimum, what, it, what exactly do you mean by like minimum recoverable volume? So it's, it's like a concept I have is like doing like the least you need to do in order to progress and still like build muscle or lose weight. Like just doing just enough and not beating yourself up enough to see results. Yeah. Yeah. So the big thing is, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think everyone's different in terms of their minimum, but the big thing is to, to keep track of that weight you're doing on a weekly basis. You should have kind of your set big lifts that you're working with on a weekly basis. If you're at that stage and assure that that weight is going up. And if it's not going up, then you're running into a bit of a problem. Are you recovering enough? Are you fueling enough? There's certainly an issue there when the weight is stopped going up. Um, and that's when it needs to be addressed. Yeah, because a lot of times, like like your your powerlifting client, for example, like you can't keep like taxing your body so hard and expecting to get stronger. Like that's something you as a coach obviously looked at and you saw. Oh, we need to change this because you're not going to get stronger if you keep beating yourself up. Yeah. Yep. And that's that's right. So let's say for like the average person or like the intermediate, like I know you mentioned like push pull leg split is more of like the trend these days. But in terms of overall volume and like like doing your accessory, like is there like a a point where say you do like your your bench and then your squat like how much do you need to do in terms of like the rest of the workout can you just build muscle by just progressively overloading and just getting strong at your compounds or is it like a, like a necessity to to do a lot of like the accessory work um i think again it goes this goes off on every individual is unique in their own way and what their goal is um you know, I like to use accessory work for lagging body parts, right? So I see, I often see lagging glutes or lagging upper 
um, rotator cuff, and that's when I'll use the accessory work. Um, but in terms of like the compound lifts, um, you know, you're just going to have to base it off of how they feel. And if you're running yourself into the ground, say you're deadlifting and you're squatting in the same session, you're doing five sets of both or even more. And you just feel awful after the session. Like you feel pretty dead. Like you almost need a nap or something, or you're just, you know, low energy all the next day and you're extremely sore. That's typically a sign that you're overdoing it. You know, some people like to brag about their soreness, like, oh, I could barely walk up the stairs today or something like that. You know, that's not indicating that you had a killer workout. It's actually indicating that either one, you did a little bit too much or two, um, your recovery is pretty poor. So that's the thing to look at here is that is that how your body responds to all these things, how your body feels after the session, how your body feels the next day. If you're extremely sore, which we've all been there before, like after usually after a leg day, right? It's hard to get out of bed. It's hard to walk down the stairs. That's when it's a sign that, okay, you might've done a little bit too much there. And then that's when sometimes it can lead to injury, right? Yeah. Cause I think that if soreness past like 48 to 72 hours is definitely a little bit more concerning. If you have like additional inflammation, additional soreness, definitely would recommend like, definitely don't hit that muscle group. Like if it's like sore three days later, I definitely like give it some extra rest. Maybe that's a sign your body needs some deload or you need to really reassess what you're doing and making sure you're obviously like if you go to the gym like we talked earlier but without a plan you're you're, you're going to be more prone to overdoing it because you're not going to know what you did the last time you're not going to have those subjective measures of how you felt so that's really important as well but i also really love how you said like using accessories to work on your weakness because everyone thinks everything you do has got to be to like a bodybuilding exercise it's got to be like a curl or a push or a pull and like everyone's like I think we need to remove the, the from our mindset that everything is a staple, right? There's obviously the movement patterns of the staples, but like, like if you see someone doing a cable row, okay, that that's really great. It's a good exercise, but do you need to do it if you're already doing a chest supported row, a landmine row, and pull ups? Well, maybe, maybe not, right? You want to see your other weak points, and we find I find a lot of the injuries occur when we we don't look at our we focus on our strengths only and we ignore our weaknesses. I find that's when a lot of injuries occur. And the, 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 I love the example you had of the glutes. Yeah, I see people's glutes are weak all the time, you know, extremely weak. There's a lot of tests you can do. And some of you guys listening right now, like if you're in, unable to perform a single leg bridge effectively, that's typically a sign that that glute's a little bit weak. If you're lunging or, or any kind of exercise like that and your hip is dropping, like your hips are struggling to stay, you know, aligned with one another, that's a sign of a weak glute. If you struggle having balance issues, um, a lot of that is signs of weak glutes. The glutes are the powerhouse of the lower body. They need to be strong. You can show me anyone in the world who is strong, who puts up like good weight, like some good standing overhead press or a good deadlift or something. And I guarantee you, they don't have a flat ass. I can 100% guarantee it. Every single person, and you can look around your gyms after you hear this. Yeah, I mean, checking out guys' ass, but, <laughs> but it's true, you know, like everyone has strong glutes because they're the staple of the lower body everything starts from the hips so the glutes are a staple of the lower body you know i find a lot of people do like the wrong exercise as well a lot of people do like like squats are great but a lot of people will just do like leg press or like the unfunctional stuff like the abductor adductor machines and yeah you'll feel it a bit in the glutes but you're not gonna that build big glutes unless you're doing like like you got to be working your hip hinge work like master that single leg bridge and you really got to focus on like like the deadlift the romanian deadlift like leg curls and accessories like that are good but really making sure like, even barbell hip thrusts are great exercise like you don't see enough people doing those in the gym 
And like if you want to build a big deadlift and squat, like your glutes are one or if not the biggest muscle group in your body after your back. So definitely got to train them. Yeah, 100%. And, and again, anyone listening who, who thinks their glutes are a little bit weak and you want to see your squat or deadlift go up, take the next few weeks to really focus on building up your glutes. And I guarantee your squat and your deadlift are both going to go up. And also, what, there was a, like some studies, or I know people were talking about how having like like stronger legs will like increase testosterone. Wasn't there something along those lines? I don't recall reading anything like that, but I could, you know, definitely see that. Yeah, I feel like like the stronger your legs are, you ha your legs are your base, right? It's just like when you're you're doing like a like anything like a squat, a staying overhead, even walking. Your your legs are your base, so the stronger and more stable you are in your lower body, the more strong you're gonna strength you're gonna have potential for in your upper body. So, I find just people are afraid of legs, man. Like you're gonna like I had this guy DM me that he's like, I want to achieve my fitness goals, but I hate leg day because I get sore. And I'm like, you want to know a secret? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, you know, if you're more consistent with your training you probably won't get as sore because it won't be like an accustomed exercise. He's like, oh, that's a good point. He's like, yeah, I'm going to try that. Yeah, you know, legs have always been a funny one. I mean, just guys just no. it's hard to find someone that actually enjoys leg day. You know, I mean, I understand it's, it's, it's brutal work and sometimes it can be sore afterwards. But like you and I are talking about right now, it's just so important to train those legs. Yeah, especially for like the desk population, like the glutes become so weak, the hamstrings are tight and that can lead to issues like with the way the pelvis is sitting and just generally like a lot of people just don't even have that that basic hip hinge pattern, which is so important. And then you'll see people do the wrong stuff. Like you'll see people trying to deadlift with a rounded lower back, but they can't even do a glute bridge. So it really comes down to what we said about if you want to build muscle long term, you got to have the right habits getting started off in the gym before you hit these bigger lifts. Yeah, and that's what you and I preach too, is we, we preach this kind of long-term fitness goals, right, of, of working out in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And in order to do that, it starts first with, first with baby steps of learning the movement patterns and developing proper posture and alignment before you can get into some of these big-time lifts and worry about stacking on the muscle mass. There's, there's steps that need to be taken before that. Yeah, big inspiration for me is Jeff Cavalier from Athlete X. He's such an inspiration. He looks so good for like, he's well into his 40s and he looks like better than most guys in their 20s. It's like incredible. Yeah, that dude is is ripped and he, yeah, he is a hell of an inspiration. I love, you know, putting the science back into strength. Um, and I think that's why you and I resonate with him a lot is because we put the science into our work as well. I put it into building muscle and you put it into a lot of your desk-bound work, you know? Yeah, it's really great. Like you... Like a lot of people will just want to get stronger and it's good to have that mindset as well. But having a balanced approach is really going to take it full circle, right? Like at the end of the day, you're building muscle. But like just like the first thing you mentioned when you started with this is digging deeper, understanding like why you want to build muscle and really having that. And then if you consider like like the longevity approach, like you want to be training well into your, your later years. And again, it's also going to like people forget that having strength is like a protective element like as you age, right? Your joints are going to be moving better. You're going to be stronger. You'll have stronger tendons. You'll, it's more like even for general injury prevention, strength has a very protective benefit to it. Yeah, 100%. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, I know you had on your story yesterday, you're talking about intermittent fasting. So is that something, who would you recommend that for and, and how would you get started with that? And is it a good thing for building muscle? Yeah, so good question. And because that's one of the questions I get asked a lot about, you know, we always get these diet trends that they, a lot of them seem to come and go. And so as, as fitness experts, it's our job to know the ins and outs of these diets. 
And, you know, it's not, you know, necessary that we agree with every single one of them, but it is important for us to know about it. And while I do know about just about all these trending diets out right now, intermittent fasting is the one that I actually do recommend to some clients. Um, and let's talk about who it's for. So to begin with, it's not for guys that are trying to build muscle. Intermittent fasting is for anyone that's trying to lose weight. And what the reason for this is, is that it's going to restrict the time frame of when you can eat. So for anyone who doesn't know, intermittent fasting, the, the, the common one we all know of is you fast 16 hours of the day and you have an eight-hour eating window. So typically from like 12 to 8 p.m. or 1 p.m. to 9 p.m. And so what that does is it's just going to add some structure to your diet and to your day and limit the time frame of when you can eat because countless studies have shown that those eight hours, it's very hard to overeat in eight hours um, as opposed to if you had the full day. If you had the full day, you're kind of snacking in the morning, you have a big meal on the lunch, another big meal at dinner, you're snacking at night, and all that is kind of just puts you a little bit over your calories and consistently over time, you're just adding more and more weight. Whereas opposed to with intermittent fasting, if I give you eight hours of the day that you can eat, it's going to be really hard for you to overeat because even if you most likely you're going to have a big meal in the beginning of it, it's going to take some time to digest and absorb that food before you start feeling hungry again. And so you'll probably get two meals in at the whole eight hours. And so you're able to keep your calories down. So intermittent fasting is also good for guys that like to eat big meals. I have a lot of buddies like this, too. They're just big time eaters. They just always have been. And that's a tough habit to break. When you're hungry, you want to eat. It's hard to like portion control when you've always been a big eater. You know what I'm saying? So if I can take those guys and I'll say, you know what? That's fine. Like let's, I'm going to put you on intermittent fasting. So now you only have eight hours to eat. So go ahead and enjoy that big meal um, because I guarantee you're still, your calories are still going to be down for the day um, afterwards. So it works really well for them. So yeah, anyone who's trying to lose weight but have a hard time controlling their portions, just have a hard time adding structure to their diet. Like they notice they're just like eating a candy bar randomly throughout the day and eating this here and there. Their lunch is like sporadic. It's here and there. Um, it's, it's good for them as well. So th it, it depends on the person and, and your schedule, but I definitely find that it can be a, a beneficial diet. Yeah, I've given it a try here and there. I know it's getting really popular with like the Kino body trend and then the lean gains trend, but I think a lot of people try to do too much at once. Like, People will try to like, they'll never track, they'll start tracking like within a week and then they've never worked out, oh, they're like, okay, I got to work out too. And then they got a meal prep and then, then that's just like a head full. Like they're like, what the hell am I supposed to do, right? You're going to get so overwhelmed. I think it's good, but you got to master one thing at a time. I'd say first, just get consistent with meal prepping. So if you want to do fasting, get used to preparing big meals, right? Because there is a large potential to rebound with the intermittent fasting. I know when I did it, sometimes like you just like eat everything in one meal because it's very easy to, so you definitely, I wouldn't say fast if you're not going to track what you're eating because if you don't have that accountability, I find it so easy to overeat. But I definitely think it is a great way to, to calorie control because a lot of people have trouble with that. Like people think you need to, like I love breakfast, but like there are days where I'm just like, I got a lot of work to do and sometimes I focus better when I, I don't eat breakfast. So I don't necessarily like believe like or you need to do fasting every day. You can, but you can also just change it up, right? You can do what well, depending on like on days where I'm home, like today, like I'm fasting right now because I'm doing like client work and we're doing this podcast. But on days where I'm on the go, I'm gonna bring more meal prep with me because I don't know when I'm gonna get my next meal in. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's that's a really good point. Is you know taking one thing at a time, and that's a big thing too. When clients come, like they they're just ready to have it all at once. Like you can have it all, just not all at once. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> so yeah, and I think that comes all down to like adherence to training regime, right? If you're not doing like half the stuff we mentioned, you're not going to see results. Like adherence is so big. It's 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 key, you know. Yeah, because you really got to be consistent. Like, like even if you can only train twice a week, like if you train twice a week consistently for three months, I guarantee you'll make progress than the dude who trains once a week for like a, every other week or, or four times a week every two weeks. You know what I mean? No, and I think that's why making fitness enhance your lifestyle is, is the only way to go. Like if fitness is taken away from your lifestyle and you have no other time for anything else, then you need to like reevaluate your lifestyle. You need to make these habit changes if you want to take the smart approach to building muscle over time. Yeah, I agree 100%. All right, so is there anything else you wanted to mention about the smart approach to building muscle before we go into questions from Instagram? You know, having having their own approach to building muscle and why it's going to be so beneficial in the long term and how and why, you know, winging it and going with the flow is just not going to get you very far at all. All right, I definitely love all the, the smart approach to building muscle. So we have just one fan question that I'm going to go for today. And that was, can you train twice a day and would you recommend it? Yeah, the old uh, two-a-days, right? I haven't, I haven't had someone ask me that in a while. I know, I know, right? I don't, I don't find it to be necessary, really. I mean, it depends on what, what you're looking at, too. Um, you know, obviously, some of my college athletes used to train twice a day, but that's because they were doing, like, cardio intensive work in the morning and then they're hitting the weights with me at night and there's a specific protocol for it when I'm with them you know they have to be eating a lot of calories in a day for that their recovery has to be on point it has to be almost a little bit extra from what everyone else is doing so for the average human being and anyone who's just generally into fitness two 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 times training a day is a little bit too much now, if you're hitting the weights in the morning and you're going for a walk at night or something light that's understandable but if you're thinking about hitting the weights hard in the morning and I'm, I'm so, you know, ambiguous that I'm going to go again and hit it again at night. You're doing a little bit too much and people don't understand that hitting weights is only half the battle. The other half of the battle is recovery and people forget that part. They, they just want to hit the weights and, and build muscle. They don't want to take the time to recover and work with their body and not against their body. So training two times a day, I don't recommend it. It's very, very specific cases like athletes, it's doable. But for the most part, people need to focus on getting effective workouts in when they're in the gym and then focusing on proper recovery outside of the gym. Yeah, those are all really great points. And also comes to the next question we had is like, would you advise training a sore muscle? Like a lot of people like think soreness, like don't understand that soreness is actually like micromuscular damage. So a lot of people like, They'll, they'll follow that bro split, and if you do that chest one day, then your back is going to be sore when you train your chest regardless. So the next day you do back, like, I don't, it really obviously depends on the person, but training a sore muscle really to, isn't always the best thing to do, but it's not always the worst thing you can do. Yeah, and so, well, first let's look at what is a sore muscle. It's, 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 it's damaged muscle tissue, right? It's, 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 it's broken up muscle fibers and a little bit of inflammation around it, too. So... To go and, 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 and try and break down more muscle tissue, you're not even giving it time to rebuild. So it doesn't really make sense in that sense. But if you're a little bit sore 
you can obviously do some mobility work. If my back is a little bit sore, like this morning, my back was pretty sore. So I got a band and did some band work. I did some rows with the band. I did some face pulls with it to get some blood flow to the area and kind of help flush out some of that inflammation um, to improve my recovery and also just kind of keep up with my mobility and my posture work. Yeah, that's one of the things I like to implement, especially for my clients who like are like obsessed with going to the gym and they want to do something every day is I'll give them like the concept of like an active rest day and daily mobility work because you shouldn't be sitting on the couch and resting. You should be doing recovery work daily and even on those those rest days you should just getting the muscle moving like and i love how you said like the banded row because bands are so good for recovery because you can add like a light load and light resistance and still work on your movement patterns yeah and that's the big thing that you just hit on right there even just saying the difference between labeling it as a rest day and labeling it as a recovery day right i feel like those two have separate meanings and everyone needs to look at it as recovery days and not just rest days. Yeah, stay tuned for our next infographic. It's going to be rest day versus recovery day. It'll be our next cloud. Dropping tomorrow. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It was a really, really great discussion. Um, can you just tell the followers a little bit about your 90-day muscle building blueprint and where they can contact you on Instagram for more information? Yeah, so I released the ebook this year. It's called the 90-Day Mass Gainer Blueprint. It's for any beginners that are looking to build their first 20 pounds of muscle in the gym. This is the program that's going to take you from point A to point B over the course of 90 days. So you can find me on Instagram at train with Carson. I have application um, right there for online coaching, but you can also send me a direct message um, and we can get you started on that 90 day mass gainer blueprint. Awesome. Thanks so much for listening today. And thanks so much for being a guest on the podcast. We hope to have you back on soon. Yeah, David, thanks a ton for having me. This was a lot of fun. Awesome. Take care.